Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to be there for um, a little bit of time this morning. So, uh, 75 years. Uh, Happy birthday, East Haven. 75 years of ministry, 75 years of existing in this area and reaching out, reaching people for Christ. And I was, out of curiosity, I just happened to look up online, according to some surveys, what's the average lifespan of a church? And uh, the average lifespan is actually somewhere around 70 to 80 years. And um, uh, they said that uh, usually what you would see is uh, uh, on average, uh, 70, and certainly there are churches that are much older, but on average, they said what would happen is you would see uh, about 30 years of great growth, and then you would see about 30 to 40 years of just steady or dramatic decline. And uh, we, don't, we don't see that at East Haven, thankfully, uh, by God's grace. We see God doing incredible things. We see that God's not done, and uh, we're looking forward to all that God has in the future. And so this morning, uh, we just wanted to take some time, and we want to look at God's Word, and we want to look at what God says to the church, and we also just wanted to have a time where we could be together as a family, and we could celebrate God's incredible faithfulness over the last 75 years to East Haven, but only that, recognize that we are committed to the future. Uh, We can celebrate the past, but we don't idolize the past. We don't romanticize the past, but we do celebrate God's faithfulness in what he has done in the past, and we look forward to all that God is going to do in the future. And since we're talking about church, it's only fitting that we go to a passage where Uh, the church is addressed. In this case, it's the church at Corinth. And we're going to start in verse 5 here. Listen to the words of Paul as he writes this letter. What then is Apollos, what is Paul, servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each of you take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and Paul is writing about their start, and he's writing to them to address some some internal issues that were going on at the time. There were some factions that had broken out in the church at Corinth. There were some people saying, well, you know, I'm a follower of Apollos. I I learned from him. He taught me, and and he's the one that I'm following, and I'm following his teaching. And some of them said, well, you know, there's Paul, and I'm I'm a big fan of Paul, and so I'm a big follower of, of Paul. I'm on team Paul. And then there's somebody else who's saying, well, there's this person, there's that person. And Paul says, listen, we need to understand the right biblical perspective of what it means to be the church. 
And so we understand there's a big C church, that is all believers from all time, everybody who has ever followed Christ, they are a part of the the big C church, as we'll say that, the body of Christ. But then we have little C church, the local body, the local representation of a segment of that larger universal body of Christ. And so we have to understand that when Paul is writing the church at Corinth, he is writing about, yes, the big C church, but he's writing specifically to the church at Corinth, the little C church, the local body of believers who are the representation of that wider body of Christ. And with that in mind, Paul gives us some details or some principles in this passage that I think would not only be good reminders for us, but it'd be a good challenge for us as we're looking ahead, being committed to the future as we celebrate the past. The first thing that Paul mentions is this, God gives the growth. Anytime there is true biblical growth in any sort of church, it's God who did it. Paul is delineating this in a very clear way. And he says, he says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. If you picked up one of the uh, larger worship guides as you walked in, so the commemorative thing that Robert put together, and we thank Robert so much for all the work that he's did or he's done to put together that format and then contact people for the video that you saw. But if you look at that, you look on the back, there's a long line of pastors over the last 75 years at this church. And so you find, you look at that and you say, what are we to make of that? We are to make of that just what Paul made of that. Who then is Apollos? Who is Paul? Just servants that God had assigned for a time. That's what we find. God is the one who gives the growth. Now, there may be people on that list that you look back and you say, oh, I remember how it was when this person was pastor. I I remember how it was when that person was pastor. There might be some of you say, well, I do remember how that was when this person was pastor. You know, you might, whatever your, whatever your, your perspective may be, the bottom line is God had assigned these servants a time span had assigned them responsibilities to this church for that time. Paul is telling the same thing to the church at Corinth. He's like, what, what's, what, who am I? Who is Apollos? We're just servants that God had assigned because God is ultimately one who gives the growth. Paul's saying, I'm not the one that ultimately gives the growth. Apollos is not the one who ultimately gives the growth. The one who ultimately gives growth is God and God alone. Look at verse 6. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. So we recognize that way back, there was a planting process. And then there's been been watering, there's been weeding, there's been pruning, there's been more watering, there's been all sorts of th- tending and caring that has taken place in any given church. And so we understand that ultimately, though, if there's any growth, if there's any true spiritual transformation, that's because of God. I remember uh, years ago, I was, I was talking to someone. They had, they had joined the church that I came from up in Knoxville. And they came to me and they were talking to me and they said, I'd really like to join this church, but I'm afraid I'm not a Christian. And I said, well, that's, you're not a part of the big C church unless you're a Christian. And they said, well, no, I've made a decision and I believed I was truly a Christian. I said, well, what's made you doubt? They said, the pastor that I came to Christ in his church under his teaching had an incredibly 
difficult and incredibly tragic public failure, a moral failure. And I said, well, when did you come to Christ? And they said, well, about 15, 20 years ago. And they said, and only in recent days has this pastor had this terrible moral failure. I'm wondering, do I need to get saved again? Or was I ever truly saved because he had this moral failure? I said, well, it's dependent upon Jesus. It's not dependent upon the person. It's dependent upon the work of Jesus in bringing peace. It's not dependent upon a pastor who's preaching. It's dependent upon the gospel. And so we have to understand that what are these individuals? They're servants. They're fallible servants, absolutely. But they're, they're servants, just as Paul is saying, listen, I planted, Apollos watered, but God is the one who ultimately brought growth. So it's not dependent upon us as humans. Now, granted, we're going to see what our responsibility is in a moment, but ultimately the responsibility is God's responsibility. Therefore, he gets all the glory when he brings the growth. Listen to Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. You can have a church building. You can have a lot of people inside of a church building. That does not necessarily ensure that you're growing the church. Someone can come in or a committee can be formed and they can, they can expand the walls of a church and fill the room. Just because the room is full doesn't mean people's hearts are full. Just because the people are present doesn't mean that the gospel is present. And, and you, you don't have to look very far to look across the landscape of American Christianity to find churches where that's the case. There's a big crowd, but there's not an army. There's a big group, but it's not a family. And so we have to understand that God is ultimately the one who gives the increase. Just because you have a big building full of folks doesn't mean that you have a, a building or a group of people who are full of the Holy Spirit and are being led by his spirit because they have a saving relationship with Christ. And we see that often. And so we have to understand, unless the Lord builds a house, we labor in vain. We have to depend upon God in order to do anything of spiritual worth that lasts. Galatians chapter 6, verse 3, Paul writes, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Well, that's a, that's a pretty pithy saying there, Paul. Paul says, I, Paul has a clear view of who he is. You understand this, your identity in Christ, when you know your identity in Christ, first of all, you recognize the greatness and the goodness of God. His incredible grace, when you truly see yourself for who you are. But also when you truly see yourself for who you are, you live with humility because you know yourself. You know yourself and you recognize in the light of Christ who you are. You recognize what your needs are. You recognize what your limits are. You recognize what your weaknesses are. And you recognize that God is still working and God loves you and that God is, is part of your life in that he saves you, in that he empowers you to do his will. Paul is not saying, listen, I watered, or, or I'm sorry, I planted, and because I planted, you need to put me on a pedestal of everybody else. No. Well, because Apollos watered, man, he watered, he watered better than anybody who had ever watered before. We, we need to elevate Apollos. Paul says, no. We glorify God and God alone because he's the only one who can give the growth. That's like a, that's like a farmer. A farmer puts seed in the ground and and you water it, and you take care of it, and you fertilize it and everything. How does that, what, what does that farmer actually do? Well, he's taking care of this process 
that God is actually the one who is, who is the giver of life. God's actually the one who provides these things. And I, I saw here recently somebody, uh, it was at a, uh, somebody had posted it in a Farm Bureau office. It was a little saying. It said, let's just remember that our continued existence depends largely upon the fact that we have a two-inch layer of topsoil and that God sends rain. I mean, that's the reality. And so God is ultimately the one who causes that seed to grow. God is ultimately the one who brings that fruit to fruition. God is the one who does the work. And the same is true spiritually speaking. We can plant, we can water, we can do all this. God's got to be the one to give the growth. Therefore, God is the only one who gets the glory. In 2 Corinthians, again, in chapter 10, verse 17, we'll revisit chapter uh, 10 in just a few moments. Paul writes, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. So we understand that God gives the growth. In any church, God is ultimately the one to give the growth. We celebrate his faithfulness. We recognize he's the one who gives the growth. But what's our responsibility? Well, look at verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. The, The people who work in the field, they're God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Now he shifts. He's going from agricultural metaphor to an architectural metaphor. Right there in verse 9. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. That word take care is the word that is translated somewhere, uh, some places in the Bible as beware. It's translated elsewhere in the Bible as pay attention, take caution, be vigilant. So he says that we are to build with care. God gives the growth, but we are to build with care. The way that we conduct ourselves spiritually, the way that we do things spiritually, the way that we're seeking spiritual growth, that's important. We have to build with care. Sometimes you'll hear people say something like this. Well, the end justifies the means. So as long as we achieve that goal, it really doesn't matter how you get there. Well, no, it does matter how you get there. It's very important that it's how you get there. Uh, I've, I've talked to pastors. I was at a conference one time and there was a group of us sitting around a table and we were having kind of a discussion about different things. And I heard a pastor and he made this statement. Well, really I'm, he says, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get somebody to come down and make a decision. And everybody said, okay, what do you mean by that? He says, well, if I have to tug at their heartstrings, or if I have to kind of manipulate things emotionally, or at the, the end of the service, I want to tell a real tear-jerking story that really, really gets a hold of their heart and that just really gets into their mind and their hearts and just really stirs them up, and, and I can get them to come forward. And so I just made a comment, which I know it's surprising that I did, but I just made a, <laughs> I just made a comment to him, and I said, well, um, if, you, if you use that, that old saying, what you win them with is what you win them to. And what you win them to and what you win them with is what you have to keep them with. Meaning if if this person is just making only an emotional decision, then that means they're going to have to have more and more emotional experiences to believe that what they're going through is a reality. And I said, you got to be, you got to be careful with that. And he said, well, don't you want to see people saved? And I said, yeah, but I want to see people saved because the gospel transforms them. Not because they've had an emotional experience. I mean, so many times I've, you know, I've, I've been places and, and I've seen people have emotional responses. And then, you know, two days later, they're, you know, 
nobody's nobody's changed uh there was a school that i taught at for a number of years we had a spiritual emphasis week and i'll i'll forget uh there was um there was a, a young guy there and he just got really on fire for jesus and he was just so excited and everybody got excited because he had gotten saved and he was one of those that you know he was a lost ball in tall grass i mean he was he was out there and so uh, god god miraculously and radically changed him and everybody was so excited and and so some of the kids said we need to let him we, he needs to give his testimony and so there at spiritual emphasis week he got up and he gave his testimony and and then i never forget he was so impassioned and he said he said i just i mean he was just beside himself and he says i just want every single one of you that doesn't want to go to hell to come down here, down front. Well, I mean, who's going to stay in their seat? And, 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 and all the kids are like, well, I mean, I don't want to go to hell. I mean, you know, I don't necessarily want Jesus, but I definitely don't want to go to hell. So they all, they all came forward. And I was, I was out that day and uh, they all came forward. And I remember he told me later, he said, everybody came forward. Everybody made a decision. I said, no, not, not, not everybody made a decision. Yeah, they did. I said, well, no, everybody just had their vote. I don't want to go to hell. Did you ask them, do you want to surrender your lives to Christ so that you can go to heaven? He said, well, no. I said, well, okay then. I mean, who, who, what kid is going to sit out there in that auditorium and be like, no, I think I'm going to choose Inferno. That's what I'm going to, that's what I'm going to choose. Eternity with God or Inferno. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose hell. No, of course not. But we see the same thing taking place. That's why we have to take care how we build upon it. We have to be very careful how we build upon that foundation that is laid. And so we, we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, listen to what Paul says. It's, a, it's sort of a callback to this verse. In verse 10, um, I'm sorry, in verse 10 of our earlier passage, according to the grace of God given to me. And now in 1 Corinthians, back in 1 Corinthians, not 2 Corinthians, back in, I know some of you are like, I'm completely confused where you are. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. Call back to the earlier book or earlier letter. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Notice what Paul says. Paul says, I am what I am. My identity is wrapped up in the grace of God because of what Christ has done in me. And that grace was given to me. It's a gift. Paul didn't, Paul didn't earn it. Paul didn't work it up. Paul did not follow all the tenets of the law and gain uh, justification in that way. No, he says this was done out of the grace of God. And then he says, and out of that grace... That's how I've worked. He says, I worked harder than anybody else. But then he's careful to say, but it wasn't me who was doing the work. It was God working in me. And you may say, well, goodness. I mean, Paul says he worked harder than anybody else. How, how could he say that? Well, first of all, it's scripture. And secondly, Paul is the one who was, who was integral in laying that foundation with the church at Corinth. That was a rough bunch of folks. I mean, that was a, you know, you, you think you've been in a church where there were issues? Read through First and Second Corinthians and you look at some of the issues they had. They had issues. Their issues had issues. I mean, they had all sorts of things going on. And, and you've heard me say before, it, in the day, back in this day, their, the name of their city, Corinth, was turned into a verb. 
And it was said, if you were Corinthianized, they regarded someone, if they said, oh, that person's been Corinthianized. It means that they had gotten so far gone that they were unlikely to ever change, morally speaking. It's another way of saying they were incorrigible. They're never going to change. Oh, that person, we can give up on them. They were Corinthianized. We don't need to waste our time on that person. That person's been Corinthianized, meaning they have been so influenced like this wickedness that was going on in the city of Corinth and the surrounding environs that they were never going to change. So Paul says, I, had, I worked harder than anybody. He said, but it wasn't me who was doing the work. It was God. God's the one who did the work. But Paul was careful whenever he built. We find in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, now we're back in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, and we're going to look at verses 15 and 16 in just a second. But in, in verse 13, Paul says that if he's going to boast, though, he's going to boast in the area of influence that has been assigned by God to him. New King James says the sphere of influence that includes especially you. So Paul is saying that he was assigned to work in a specific area, and he was given that mandate by God. And he says, so I'm, I'm working and I'm, I'm planting and I'm doing the work of ministry for you at Corinth because that's the sphere that God has appointed me to. That's the sphere that God has assigned me to. And because he understands that, he understands his moral responsibility to the church. You find in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 15, he says, we do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others. But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in the lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. What, what is Paul saying there? Well, he's saying that God has assigned him to these people. And so he's doing the work. God's actually working through him. And that whenever their faith starts to mature, they start reaching out. And they start reaching people around them. And, and Paul says, and that's going to give an opening for the gospel to spread even more and the gospel to spread even more. And he said, but I'm just, I, I don't want to get over in somebody else's lane when God's assigned them over here. He's, he's, he's working over here. He said, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to get over here in this other part. I'm, I'm going to do what God has assigned for me to do. Yeah. You don't hear me talking about well, there's this church in Oregon that I'm really concerned about. And I'm going to, you know, we're, we, need to, you know we, need to, we need to do something about that. Well, well, no, God hasn't assigned that. But you find that Paul is saying, I'm, I'm concerned about what's going on in this sphere of influence. I'm concerned about this area. And I want to build with care and knowing that that building is not an end to itself. And we're talking about spiritual, spiritually building up. He says that's not an end unto itself. It is so those spiritual boundaries are expanded more and more and more. And we can reach more and more people for Christ. That's what Paul's concerned about. Are, are you concerned about building with care? upon that this foundation are you concerned about building and reaching and stretching and growing in your own spiritual walk to see people come to christ well so we we find that paul has talked about god's the one who gives the growth now we're kind of going in reverse order here because uh, he's he's going from top to bottom he's going from the the out the outworking of it down to the foundation so he says that god is the one who gives the growth we build upon that foundation with care. And what is that foundation? Jesus is the foundation. Look at verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is the only foundation. I heard Tony Evans say one time that they moved into a house and there was a, a crack in the wall. And he said that they, they patched it and painted it. And a little while later, crack came back. So they patched it and painted it again and crack came back. And so finally they called somebody and they called a painter and they said, we need you to come look at this, figure out what's going on. And he came and he said, I can't help you. And they said, why not? He said, well, it's not a paint problem. It's not a wall problem. It's a foundation problem. Your foundation is shifting. You need someone else to come in and you need someone to stabilize this foundation because otherwise this crack is going to keep showing up. And we find that when our foundation is off, everything that we build upon it shifts. Everything that we build upon that foundation. But if our foundation is sure and unmoving and solid, then everything that we build upon that, we need to take care how we build upon it. But we understand that the foundation is certain. The foundation is sure. Now, does that mean that everything we build on that foundation is going to check out without foundation? Well, no, not necessarily. Uh, if you look down, I'll just give you John 15, 5, and then I'll get to the next verse. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So we have to have Jesus not only as the foundation, but Jesus is the one who empowers us to do the work. But what why do we need to be careful about how we build? Because there is the possibility that we can build upon the foundation of Jesus and put things on that foundation that aren't of Jesus. That's what Paul is referencing in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. He writes, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day, that is the day of the Lord, will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Meaning there's a foundation that we lay in the person of Jesus. And then we find that sometimes people will say, well, I'm going to add this. Now, I'm going to say it's Jesus, but it's not actually Jesus. I'm going to add this to it. Now, these things may be of Jesus, but I'm going to put this in here, and I just kind of like this. It's a preference. It's an opinion. It's an expectation. It's not really biblical, but I think I can find a verse. You, 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 know, you, know, you ever see that done? Somebody's like, uh, you know, I, I, know that's, I know that should be happening because I got a verse. And they take a verse out of context, and it's dangerous, dangerous really dangerous to, to do that. All right. So, you take those verses out of context and you say, I'm going to build on this foundation. The idea is that the day's going to come that the, the glory of God and the purifying fire of God is going to come and test everything that we've built on that foundation of Jesus. And everything that we have built that is not of Jesus, that's not of eternal worth, that's not lasting, the wood, the hay, the straw, it all gets burned up. Only that which is of eternal value is going to survive. I remember we were in a class one time. I was in a seminary class, and I remember this young guy said, yeah, and I'm really worried about all those people that's going to have stuff that's going to burn up, you know, and he was, he was just really, he was, uh, sometimes if you get a seminary class full of preacher boys, um, they, they, they just break out into a mini sermon periodically. Uh, they just, they, they just do that, and it's, it's not always, it's not always a good sermon. Uh, but anyway, um, the professor looked and I, remember, I just remember he got real serious. He said, gentlemen, let's all understand something. 
everybody you have ever met who is a Christian, including yourselves, we're all going to have things on that day that are going to burn up. All of us will have something that will burn up. He said the idea is you want to do as much in the power of God by the word of God so that as little as possible will burn up. As much as depends upon you, as much as depends upon your understanding of God's word and the application of it to your life, be you, be you a, a preacher boy or be you uh, a, a leader in some sense, be you a church member, whatever it is, as you're following Christ, take care how you build on that foundation because everybody's work gets tested. Everything that we do gets tested. Whether that's a, everything that a church does as an individual as they do, everything gets tested before the fire of God. So we have to be careful how we build upon it. We have to be careful about what's next. As we're talking about being committed to the future, we're not talking about the next 10 years. We're not talking about committed to the future of the next 20 years. We're talking about we are committed to an eternal future. Now, yes, the next 10, 20, 50 years, that all plays into that. But we're committed to eternity. That's what you saw this morning when we baptized. You know what that is? Uh, whenever we baptize, every now and then somebody will say something like this. We'll see young people baptize and somebody will say, well, you know, that's the church of, that's the church of tomorrow. Uh, okay, let me give you a corrective. That's the church of today. They are part of the church today. They're not, they're not the future of the church. They're the now of the church. They'll be leading in the future, but they're the now. And so we have to understand when we say we're committed to the future, we're also committed not only to what is going to happen in the future, we're committed to the eternal future that everybody is going to face. Everybody will live forever somewhere. And we are committed to see as many people with eternal life as possible. That's what we're committed to. That's why we say that we can celebrate God's faithfulness in the past, but we look forward to the future. There is more ahead. Aren't you glad there's more ahead? There's so much more ahead than we can ever see looking backwards at what's behind. There's so much more ahead. There's so much more that God wants to do. There's so much more in that eternal future that God has for each one of us. So that is why we can look back at the history of our church, and we can celebrate God's faithfulness in the past. Absolutely, and we should. But we are committed to see what God wants to do in the future. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. We come before you, and we are thankful for 75 years of ministry in this community for East Haven. And we're thankful that you're not done. There are still things that you desire to do. How do we know that? Because we're still here. There are still things that you want to do in each one of the lives of your followers to reach people for Christ. And how do we know that? Because we're still here. So as long as there's breath, there is a mission for each of us. And so, Father, we pray that you would use the next 75 years or ever how long uh, it is that you you tarry before you return we pray that you would continue to show your faithfulness pray that you would give us the wisdom and understanding as we are committed to the future 
Father, we pray that, that if there's anyone here today that they've never made that eternal, that eternity-changing decision to follow Christ, that today would be the day. Maybe somebody here this morning says, I, I am a follower of Christ. I've never been baptized. I need to be baptized. Father, there may be some people here who have been wrestling, wrestling with your faithfulness, wrestling with trying to see your hand. And Father, I pray that you might give them wisdom and understanding from your word to recognize that. Father, I pray for the people here who have been working so hard by their own power, not recognizing that you're the one who gives the growth. May they surrender fully to the fact that you give the growth. May they be careful how they build. But recognize you're the one who gives the growth, and Jesus is the only foundation. So, Father, I pray that today would be the day that some would, some would make Jesus that foundation in their lives today. That all the shifting sand and all the things that they would depend upon, all the other things that they might be tempted to build upon, you tell us in your word that those who hear your words and do them, that's the person that you will compare to one who wisely builds his house on the rock. Those who hear and respond. So Father, I pray today would be the day that many would respond to Christ and that he lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death on the cross in our place for us. And he died, he was buried, he rose again. And if we trust in him for salvation, if we trust in him, that that sacrifice was sufficient to pay the penalty of sin. And we seek forgiveness from you. And we surrender to Christ. We will be saved. And we are assured of that foundation that is found in Christ alone. And then by your grace, we will build upon it so that that influence will extend to the people around us so that we might be able to let Jesus be known to them as well. Father, we give you, again, thanks for 75 years. And we pray that we would be expectant and that we would be mindful and would be watchful for all that you have, not only for the next 75, but for all eternity stretched out before us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.